Thanks for listening to this podcast of Trending with Timory. If you haven't already subscribed, please catch us wherever you love to listen to your podcast, from the Relevant Radio app to Apple, YouTube, you name it, we are there. And if you listen on Apple Podcasts, please be sure to go and give us a five-star review to help other people discover the podcast. Anything you share in terms of episodes, whether it's texting it to a friend, posting on social media, helps to build up the kingdom for God to help confront the challenging issues we face as a culture, but with joy, with hope, and with an eternal perspective where our faith collides with everyday life, bringing eternal principles to help us live our life joyfully. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio. Why are we never satisfied? Why do we always want more? What makes us happy? Welcome to our weekly happy hour today on Trending. It's good to be with you. As always, we're talking about the deep questions that orient us toward answering that question we all have. How can I be happier? But ultimately looking at it from a faith-filled perspective and understanding what brings ultimate happiness, furthermore, specifically, joy. Of course, we always talk about how that's rooted in God, but today we're going to talk about a number of things, including joining me in just a couple of minutes, will be the author of How and How Not to Be Happy. We're going to talk a little later about Jennifer Aniston. It seems as if her relationship status has always been in the news over the last 20 years. I was fascinated to see a front cover story talking about how she has regrets with regard to never having children, among other things. We'll talk about that a little bit later in relation to happiness, and we'll talk about this trend of gratitude journals and whether or not being grateful makes you happier or not. You don't have to have a gratitude journal, but I do think it's an interesting question with this practice of gratitude. Will it make you happier or will it not? And if so, what do you have to do to understand gratitude properly? Joining me now is Professor Budzhevsky. He's the author of the book, How and How Not to Be Happy. And we're going to unpack why we are never satisfied and why we always want more, which is at the core of his book, How and How Not to Be Happy, as he helps us understand those key things that we tend to chase with regard to happiness and what will, at the end of the day, bring us true happiness. Professor Budzhevsky, welcome to Trending. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be with you. Let's unpack a little bit from your book. It's interesting. We live in a culture where feelings are pretty much our guide for everything we seek. It's interesting. We live in a culture where we don't say, I think X, Y, and Z. We usually say, I feel X, Y, and Z. We're a very emotive culture. And I think that this falls into the whole category of happiness. We often talk here about how happiness is a fleeting emotion. Uh, It can change on a given whim. And it's interesting because in your book, you talk a lot about all of these things that we think will make us happy, such as Why is it there's always something more to be desired? Can you touch on that uh, never-ending desire for a satiating feeling, but that's never present for us, no matter what we seek out? 
Yes, I'm glad to talk about that. There are two sides of this. The first one is this business of a feeling. You know, happiness is is not unconnected with the feelings. If I was if I had feelings of misery all the time and feelings of pain all the time, it would be difficult to say that I was happy. But happiness is not a feeling. It's a word for complete fulfillment, for flourishing, for thriving. Why do we always want more? Well, it's because none of the things in this world were intended to be uh, to be the be-all and end-all for us. Um, I can have pleasure in this life, and uh, I may be feeling really good. I may be feeling really good really intensely. And there comes a moment when I say, but is this all there is? You know, even satisfaction can leave you unsatisfied, paradoxically enough. Um, friendship is a wonderful thing. Uh, human love is a wonderful thing, but no two human beings can be everything to each other. They weren't intended to be. The only thing that can be everything to us is uh, is God, and all of these things are good to the extent that they reflect Him, and they point us to Him, and they're bad to the extent that they uh, that they uh, that they draw us away from Him. These, uh, I think, this is a this is a big mistake we want. So we, we think, oh, if I only have. You know, if I just had some more money or a better house or if I had better friends or, you know, I don't like my wife very much. I wish I just had a better wife. If I had um, if I had some more meaningful work than I've got, that would be the magic wand that would make me happy. You can have all of those things. You can have all of those things and you will still you will still find yourself saying, is this all your all there is? Isn't it fascinating? And we live in a culture where, like you're saying, that there's always that one more desire. Uh, You know, you desire to be married, you finally get married, and then you desire whether it's the home, the child, the dog, the vacation, whatever it might be, there's always that next thing. And there's never a resting moment uh, when it comes to that kind of constant push forward. And it makes me think, uh, Professor Budzhevsky, about kind of this culture we live in that is so focused on productivity. And it makes me wonder if sometimes we get uh, pulled in the direction of productivity in our current culture to such an extent, we confuse even that simple understanding that we're human beings, not human doings. Yeah, we're not just uh, we're not just factory machine. Now, look, you know, productivity productivity is great. We grow more crops than we than we used to grow when we didn't know about fertilizers and when we didn't have the new breeds of crop that we have now. That's great. But you know, that's not the be all and end all either. I was I was talking to a young man just the other day. I was speaking about the same thing that you and I are talking about about how and how not to be happy. I'd given a talk about it to a young professionals group, and he spoke to me afterward, and he said. Uh, he said, I really resonate with what you're saying. Um, I just realized this year that I was making that mistake. I had been killing myself, working all kinds of hours. I, I was, I'm very systematic, he said, and I set all kinds of goals and all kinds of plans for myself. And I would, I would achieve this goal and I would tick that off my chart. And I'd achieve another goal and I'd tick that off the chart. And then last year I'd achieved all my goals and I suddenly realized that I wasn't satisfied, that there was something else. So he was glad that we were talking about this. 
Mm. You know, it's interesting when you talk about a goal-oriented life and many of, I think, those five steps for how to live happy, your happiest, best self. You know, people talk about things such as have goals, reevaluate your goals, revisit your goals, make sure they're short-term goals and long-term goals and adapt them if you need to. And it's so fascinating that you say that because goals can be at the heart of what we in part think happiness will be. But as we were discussing earlier, once you achieve that, you still don't feel that satiation. I was reading an article last week Mm -hmm. and right after the death of Queen Elizabeth. And it was Mm -hmm. written by this nurse who spends a lot of time uh, with the dying. And she ended up interviewing and spending time asking questions and came across the five most common things that dying people regretted in her hospital ward. And number one was that they wish they hadn't worked so much. And I find (laughs) that time and time again, that is the predicament many people discover, but often too late. You know, I think that the reason we fall into these mistakes and into these traps is that there's a grain of truth in every one of them. Look, I love my work. Uh, I, I love what I get to write about and what I, what I get to teach about. But, you know, that is by itself is not going to make me happy. I love my wife. Uh, I've been married to her for 51 years, and love is sweet. But, but, you know, she can't be God to me. She could only be an idol, and I can't be God to her. I would only be an idol to her. Mm-hmm. Um, m- having purposes is a good thing. Having meaning in life is a good thing. But, you know, it can't just be any old meaning. It has to be a true meaning in the first place instead of some concocted meaning. And in the second place, the only, the only meaning that is really going to fulfill us is the one that we are... We don't just have on a blackboard, yes, that is my goal, but that we are taken up into, when we're taken up in the next life into the life of God himself. And uh, this is what we, uh, you know, this is what we long for. This is why none of the things in this world are enough by themselves. They're all great. They can even be pointers. You know, when I love my wife, uh, I, I, well, there really are two longings that are aroused here by my love for her. There's the longing for her, and that can be satisfied by her. But then there's the longing, you know, love has the fragrance of eternity, and she's not eternity. That longing cannot be satisfied by but is stirred up by that longing for her. And we make mistakes about those those two things and get ourselves into all kinds of difficulties. think, it's because I don't have the right wife. I don't have the right husband. You know, what's the point of love? What's the point of meaning? No, that's not it. We're, we're, it the problem isn't that all these things are bad. It's that we're trying to make them out to be a greater good than they really are. We're trying to make them out to be the eternal and transcendental good that is only to be found in God. It's interesting that you mentioned marriage as an example for a thing which we delight in and enjoy, but which sometimes we think of as an end in and of itself when it comes to happiness. Because whether you're single, you're dating, or you're married, I think there has to come a time, at least God willing, or else you're in trouble, where you realize your spouse is not contingent, or your happiness is not contingent upon your spouse. And if you spend right. your marriage thinking that, you're, you're going to make your spouse miserable, and likely yourself, if things continue to stay together. Uh, 
for longevity. Uh, but it is interesting because I think we live in a culture that has been so romanticized, especially uh, with modern day f films and movies where we want to see the love story. We want to see it end well, but it's very feeling and emotion based. And you even read articles about happiness and marriage. And all of it, I think, often gets it wrong. And you just hit the nail on the head when you said your spouse will become your idol, essentially, if you focus your happiness on them in particular. Yes, you know, and it's funny. These romantic feelings look—they're great. I'm—I'm a—I'm a romantic. I—I I, I admit it. Uh, people think that women are the romantics, and that uh, men, men are men are not. Actually, men invited, in, men invented the concept of romantic love. Women are very practical. They said, "Oh, this is a good thing. Let's push it along." Um, I, I think that, uh, I think that, uh, and I'm fortunate because I do have those feelings for my wife, but I haven't had those feelings at every moment in my relationship with her. I haven't even had it, had those feelings for every year when we were newlyweds. We, you know, we we sometimes sometimes you, we we seem to be fighting like cats and dogs, quarreling. I mean, and uh, and you don't always have those feelings, but you 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 try to make your happiness, as you put it, contingent on the other person. And then if you're not perfectly satisfied, you're going to blame the other person. You you know you have to just you just have to say this is a good. I accept this. I accept this gift from God of my wife, my husband, my marriage, my friendship, whatever it is. I accept it for what it is. Okay, but my happiness is my happiness does not depend on that. My happiness in this life well, there's a kind of a happiness that is connected with having those good things, but it's a very imperfect and vulnerable happiness. It isn't that happiness that as Thomas Aquinas said, lulls all desire that leaves nothing further to be desired. Now, you know, in the, in the book, I did, say, I did say having good things like friendships, like enough food to eat, uh, you know, a roof over my head, uh, having, having meaningful work, having good things is good. It contributes to a kind of a happiness. Having the good character the virtues that enable us to use those good things well so that they help us instead of ruining us, that contributes to our happiness. But, with, but even with good character and good fortune, the kind of happiness, the kind of this-worldly happiness that you get out of that is a very vulnerable, fragmentary, incomplete, and precarious thing. And it's not, if you want complete fulfillment, you know, you, you need to seek God with all your heart and you're not going to have that fulfillment until the next uh, until the next life. That's Professor Budzhevsky. You can find him at undergroundthomas.org. He also wrote the book, as we've been discussing, How and How Not to Be Happy. I'll post a link on social media as well as in the podcast notes for today's show. Just follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. I'm also giving a copy of his book away, so stay tuned on social media this evening. I'll post details about that uh, within the next half hour or so. If you're interested in picking up a copy of that on Instagram, I'll share more. We're going to come back talking about what makes us happy. Again, joining me now is the author of the book, How and How Not to Be Happy. Isn't that the question we all have? I'm also going to come back talking about some of the regrets recently shared by Jennifer Aniston in Star Magazine about what she wishes she had in life. Also, I'll talk about whether or not being grateful makes you happy. So, what's trending? Bridging your Catholic faith with your everyday life. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. 
Welcome back to our weekly happy hour today on Trending. It is that time we're going to talk about celebrity Jennifer Aniston in just a little bit. I was fascinated looking at a recent headline, an article of her in a magazine when I was traveling this last week about something she really regrets. And I thought it related to our whole topic of happiness today. So stay tuned for that. Joining me now is the author of a book that is titled How and How Not to Be Happy. We're going to talk about what makes us happy ultimately. Joining me now is Professor Bujashevsky. He's the author again of How and How Not to Be Happy. Find him at undergroundthomas.org. We posted links to the book on social media. We're also giving a free copy away as well, but you can pick up your copy online. Uh, Stay tuned. I'm posting now on Instagram if you want to learn how to pick up your copy. Uh, News and information is there. Just follow me at Timmery, T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. In this book, it dives into those many things that we tend to get wrong, what we think will make us happy. Wealth, power, authority, uh, having the fittest body, having the perfect family, so many things that we tend to become distracted by with our desires or ideas of what happiness is. Professor Bujasevsky, I'm curious to hear what your thoughts are in having written a book on happiness yourself. I'm sure you've looked at many books on happiness. What do you think that people most commonly argue will make you happy is that one tip and how do they usually get it wrong? Well, one of the ways that they get this wrong is that they think that happiness is a feeling or a collection of feelings. One of the most common, there's a whole field of psychology now. It's called positive psychology. These are people who want to study happiness. But they'll say things like this. They'll say, well, we're psychologists, not philosophers. We're not going to spend any time with the centuries of philosophical discussion of what happiness is. We're not going to define happiness. We will just, for our purposes, say happiness is, is positive feelings. Well, they, they just said that they weren't going to define it, and then they defined it. And it's, they say they're going to ignore those uh, philosophical discussions. They shouldn't have, because one of the things that emerges from those philosophical discussions, including Catholic thought, is that good feelings by themselves are not happiness. When we think of happiness, we think of something that abides, something that sticks with you, something that characterizes the whole your your life as a as a as a as a story. But um, but uh, but feelings come and go. You know, it's like that. We were talking about about marriage and love before. It's like that with love too. In, in many people misunderstand the marital vows. They, you know, you say, "I I promise to love this woman. I promise to love this man." And people think, well, how can you promise to love? Because love is a feeling, and you can't promise to have a feeling. Well, no, you can't. But love is not a feeling. Love is a commitment of the will to the true good of another person, and you can promise that. It's something like that with happiness. Happiness is is um, involves the will, too. And happiness is flourishing. It's more than just feelings. So this is one of the mistakes that these happiness books make. The other mistake that they make is this, and I won't say that they're altogether wrong, but they're largely, largely wrong. Here's the thing. You can say, you can ask people, well, what do you think happiness is? And they might give a thousand answers. Are you going to really understand what happiness is by just collating all those answers? No. You can ask people, well, what makes you happy? You know, sometimes people don't even know whether they're happy. Even if happiness were a feeling, they don't even always know how they're feeling. A man may be in a bad mood one day, and his wife knows, and his co-workers know, and his kids know, and he's the last one to know. He doesn't even know. Um, so 
it's not that so asking people survey questions now give your own self report about your happiness Tell what you think it is. Tell what you think makes you happy. That's not going to really give you what you need to know. The only instrument for finding out what um, what makes us happy is the instrument of thoughtful conversation. When we when we put things together and we start connecting the dots and we say, you know, I thought that that would make me kind of happy if I just punched all these dots on my on my goal form and it didn't. I guess that's not what happiness is. All right, you've learned something. Um, but that comes out in conversation, not in a survey form. So the so the two big mis- biggest mistakes that they make are that um, are are that uh, they think happiness is a feeling, and they think that you can get all the answers you need just by uh, just by asking people questionnaires. Um, now I won't say I said a minute ago that this is not a hundred percent wrong. What's right about it is this: people do know something about happiness. If we didn't know something about happiness, then we couldn't even talk about happiness. We wouldn't even know that there was such a thing as happiness. We couldn't have this conversation where we learn more and say, you know, I hadn't thought about that, but it's true. Um, But there's a difference between saying we know something and saying we know enough. There's a difference between saying, hmm, what we think we know is a good starting point and saying that's the good ending point. That was a long answer, and I apologize. No, and I think that that's kind of what's difficult, is we often want that one tip, or we want to look at the surveys and see, okay, this is the person who's happy, this is the person who's not happy, let's follow this path. We want to oversimplify, and in one respect, it is simple. You bring up God, and it's even fascinating reading your book, because it touches on, you know, for some people, they're going to go, oh, great. So you're saying you need God in order to be happy. And you're saying, well, yeah. And it's interesting because I think I was pondering this from the perspective of a person of faith. And some people might argue that, well, the saints were happy. Or some people might say, well, Our Lady had to have been perfectly happy. The Blessed Virgin Mary, the Mother of God, is totally spotless and without sin. But I don't think ever anyone has ever actually claimed to be the happiest person, perfectly happy, perfectly content, <laughs> ever in the history of mankind. And I even give the example of someone such as the Blessed Virgin Mary or these saints who have this incredible union with God, but they're still desiring something. And I think that's so profound because they still desire total union in heaven with God, the beatific vision, not just the already not yet that we have on earth, which is part of that transcendent push that you understand in your book that through knowledge and contemplation and seeing God and you know knowing him and loving him, that is taking us in the path to where we're ultimately meant to be. Yes, I think that's right. I, I completely agree with you. Now, let me let me uh, unfold a couple of aspects of what you said. Uh, first of all, you know, I've had this kind of conversation, too. People will sometimes say to me, well, I go to church, you know, and I worship and and I believe it. And I uh, and I pray and uh, and I and I and I read my scriptures and I talk with people and I'm not fulfilled. What's wrong with me? Mm-hmm. If God is my mm-hmm. is my happiness, why am I not fulfilled? Well, there's nothing wrong with you. There's something right with you. You're not deluded because you do not completely experience the fullness of God 
in this life. That's why we speak of the beatific vision. This is why Jesus says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. He doesn't say they're already, say they're already seeing God. He says they will see God. Then we will be completely fulfilled. And that's not right now. Now, another aspect of this is this. We do get flashes of that sometimes. We get these sometimes, maybe it is in Mass, maybe it is in prayer, maybe it is in, in gazing upon the face of somebody whom you love and realizing that this person is a gift of God. You get a flash of that beatitude, you get a glimpse, you get a reflection of the, of the brilliant light of the face of God. But it's only a flash. It's, uh, it's not a continuous experience in this life. It's like St. Paul says, now we see as though we're looking in a clouded glass, we see darkly, but then we'll see face to face. Mm. You know, it makes me think of this idea that sometimes maybe this is the problem. We need to wrap our head around this fact. There's a difference between earthly contentment and joy and bliss and a fantastic experience as long or as short as that may last versus heavenly union that is what we are created for. And I think that if we can't get that point in our mind, we're going to have a hard time being satisfied at any given point, no matter the woes or the sorrows. Yes, I, I agree with you completely. You mentioned the sorrows just now, and that's, uh, that's important here, too. One of the things that we need to understand is that even in this life, even our sorrows can contribute to our ultimate happiness in God. You know, this was one of the most exciting things to me, actually, when I became Catholic. I'm a convert. Um, to realize that... Um, well, even little Catholic children are often told by their mommies and daddies, you know, the kid falls and skins his knee, and he's crying, and they, and they comfort him, of course, and they kiss him, but then they say, offer it up to God. Now, I, you know, mm-hmm. I, that's, I had good parents, but they never told me that. The idea that somehow your suffering means something to God, that it might unite you more closely in conformity with Christ who suffered for us. That's a pretty exciting idea. But it's all through the New Testament. And this is why it's possible for Paul, when he was in prison, I don't think for a second that he wasn't suffering. And yet, he had a kind of a joy along with that, so that he sang in prison, and even his jailers were impressed and wanted to know more about this gospel. Uh, this is, uh, that's really very important for us, too. It transforms the whole picture of happiness and suffering in this life, it puts it in a different perspective. And isn't that one of the greatest challenges as Catholics is understanding the idea of offering it up in that union with God through suffering. And that's what we need. When we talk about happiness, we're getting it wrong because what we want is, and you talk about this in your book, ultimately is joy. Joy is a virtue and joy is in part what helps us to endure in those difficult moments, to persevere, to have the eternal perspective rather than just the earthly focus on contentment and satisfaction where we will never have a total fulfillment of all of our desires. Yes, yes, that's right. The, um, uh, Thomas Aquinas says that complete happiness would mean, would lull all desire, that there would be nothing further to be desired. And, you know, you can get the idea from a statement like that, oh, that means I've, you know, I've got, a, I've got all the money in the world, and I've got all the friends in the world, and I've got all this, and I've got all this, and I've got all this. No, he doesn't mean that. He means, he means, um, when you are gazing upon the face of God, it's all going to be different. 
I mean, it's not as though friendship drops away and you don't have friends in heaven. Of course you'll have friends. You're gazing at God together. Um, it's not as though, it's not as though um, uh, you know, we don't, need, uh, we, don't, we don't need whatever our bodies need anymore. We'll, have, we'll, you know, we'll experience the resurrection of the body. But everything is transformed when we see God face to face. Now, that's what we have to hope for. And that it doesn't just give us something to hope for. It even changes the way that we experience the goods of this life. When I look at my, at, at my dear friend, when I look at my wife, and I see in her someone whom I love, and this is one of the things that helps me along my way to God, and that we together can long for God, which can't be found just in each other, and we can together can walk into that mystery, it changes the very experience of the earthly love of marriage, and uh, and I think that um, that this is true of all you know this is true of all of the goods of this life. Joining me now is Professor Brzezewski. He's the author of How and How Not to Be Happy. You can find his book online. We post the link on social media as well as in the podcast notes. You'll see it there. You can find him at undergroundthomas.org. And we're giving a free copy away. So check out my Instagram to learn more about how to obtain that copy. Um, I do think that I want to share a comment that came in from, Malf in, from Ralph in Silver Springs, Maryland, objecting mm-hmm. to the claim that marriage is not contingent or that happiness is not contingent on marriage. He said that he disagrees. He says, a bad marriage, you're definitely not going to be happy. But he said, the happiest people I've found are in very happy marriages. What would your response be? Oh, I would, I would say I, I, I don't disagree with him, but I think he's misunderstood me. I don't mean that, and I've said this about the good things of life, they are good things. I don't mean that marriage doesn't contribute to your happiness. What I'm saying is marriage is not a magic wand that is going to guarantee that you're happy. It's true that if you have a rotten marriage, it's going to make you a lot unhappier. But it, but marriage is not a magic wand. No two people can be everything to each other. And there are no magic wands. None of the goods of this life, not ordinary mortal human love, not meaningful work, not wealth, not... Uh, not um, Having fun things to do. None of these things are a magic wand that will uh, that will just do it for you. But I certainly agree that that uh, that a sound uh, a sound family life and a sound marriage is a terrific mm-hmm. contributor. It's a contributor mm-hmm. mostly because it you're helping each other along this way to God. Mm-hmm. But again, the focus isn't on how will you please me. It enters into that law of gift, that theology of the body as St. Yes. John Paul II in the great teaching of the church teaches that we get it right with regard to human love, with regard to pursuing God, and we understand the law of gift that my life is meant to be given away. That's what Jesus Christ <laughs> modeled on the cross, and it was bloody, he was bruised, and he was crucified, and it's through that sacrifice Official love in marriage that people do experience happiness, not in this just trying to please the other person or trying to get what you want from the other person. This is very hard for people today. I was uh, I was invited to give a couple of uh, lectures about marriage and family at a um, Protestant uh, college, and uh, the students were wonderful. They were smart. They asked a lot of good questions, but they, you know, they, the the theology of the body isn't developed in those circles. And a young woman said, "You've been talking about marriage." as self-giving, and you've been talking about happiness in general as involving self-giving of some kind. You know, she says, if, if that's what marriage is, you're driving me away from it further and further. 
<laughs> you see, she thought she thought marriage is just something like an arrangement of convenience between two people who never quite meet. And even ordinary friendship isn't like that. I mean, we need to meet. We we donate. We uh, it, a, a good friendship is not one where we're just having fun together, or whether we're useful to each other like like a business friends. It is a partnership in a good life, and that's that's something that we're both contributing to. We are yielding ourselves to this, to this, uh, to this relationship, to this life, uh, and. Uh, it's hard for us, though. We want to say, I own myself. I will have less if I give myself away. No. Unless you give yourself away, you have nothing. Mm, isn't that true? Isn't that the challenge? I kept thinking, Professor, coming back to this whole idea of, okay, well, what does God say about happiness? And as children, my mom would always teach us and make us repeat, you know, at a very young age in our catechesis, the Shema from Deuteronomy 6, 5, love yeah. the Lord your God mm -hmm. with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And as I was reading your book, I kept thinking of the Shema and how Jesus rephrases it yet again. You know, if you, what, what are we looking for with regard to happiness? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. And in your book, you talk about the importance of turning to God, of pondering, of thinking of God. That's the key to happiness. Whatever decision you need to make, whatever direction you need to go in, whatever moment-to-moment -moment bliss or sorrow you're in, in the thick of that, you remember those words, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your, all heart. your soul, and all your mind. And you will have earthly contentment that will take you to that perfect beatific vision in union with God one day. Yes, yes. I think that um, that uh, one of the things that I should mention here is that since, like the young woman of whom I spoke, she was afraid of self-giving, we're afraid of God. You know, God is scary. It's not for nothing that <laughs> that the Bible says, speaks of the fear of God, but this isn't fear like, he's going to hurt me, he's not good for me, he's bad. The problem is, he's so good, he's scary. He loves us so much, he's scary, because he loves us more than we love ourselves. We put up with, our, in, in, with things in ourselves that make us miserable. And he says, I will not put up with anything that destroys you. I will not put up with anything that makes you miserable. I will not rest until you have been scoured and burnished, until you can give back as a reflection my perfect life. And we're, we're afraid of that. Now, because it is so scary, in my book, you know, you can go for, for, for a couple of hundred pages before you get to any of the God stuff. I even promised mm -hmm. people that in the beginning. Right. If you, I say, right. if you're, if you're God-phobic, uh, okay, there's a lot of stuff that's going to be helpful to you for the imperfect happiness of this life. Great. You can even stop before you get to the end. Although, that's kind of like, you know, some people, it, it's as though you were reading a mystery story and you said, um, well, I stopped before the last chapter where the mystery is solved. Why? <laughs> oh, I'm just not the kind of person who enjoys the solution to mysteries. <laughs> I, I think we should want to get to the end. <laughs> I think that's better. <laughs> well, and isn't that why we love the articles? Those five quick tips on how to be happy or, you know, that you really now those memes or that photo that gives you three little bullet points. That's often what we want. But final question and thought here with regard to what makes us happy. Would you agree? agree that to be happy we have to stop focusing on our happiness 
I wouldn't say, well, in one way, yes, in another way, no. I, I would say that if somebody is always thinking, am I happy yet? Am I happy yet? And obsessing about his happiness, he's not going to be happy. That's detrimental to his happiness. But on the other hand, in a certain sense, and, and we have to be thinking about those around us. We have to give ourselves to them. But on the other hand, there are people who say, happiness is unachievable. I'm just going to settle for being unhappy. And I'd, I think I would encourage them to have more hope. I would encourage them to desire their own happiness and the happiness of others more. But they're going to find that happiness by looking away from themselves to the uh, to the source of that happiness, the the uh, the uh, into the joy of God. That's Professor Budzhevsky. You can find his book "How and How Not to Be Happy" online. We posted a link on social media as well as in the podcast notes. Check him out at undergroundthomas.org. Again, that's undergroundthomas.org. Check out the book. Thank you so much for joining us, Professor. I'll be back here on trending to dive further into the topic of happiness. Are people who practice gratitude more happy? And what are the happiness regrets of Jennifer Aniston? She has been in the news for years with regard to her relationship status. But what did she recently share that fascinated me? I'll share that with you in just a moment. We're talking about what you're thinking about. You're listening to Trending with Timory on Relevant Radio and the Relevant Radio app. Welcome to our weekly happy hour here on Trending. If you've never joined us before, thank you for joining me. If you have a question, would love to take it. Numbers one eight eight eight. 914-9149. You can also always ask it live on Instagram. Just follow me at Timmery. That's T-I-M-M-E-R-I-E. And by the way, we're giving a free copy of this book away, How and How Not to Be Happy. My guest from earlier today, Professor Budzhevsky, incredible book, How and How Not to Be Happy, a very important topic of happiness that many of us struggle with. We often get it wrong. We look for those quick and easy tips as to what will make us happy. We look for the Instagram posts with the photo with those two things. We're going to talk about gratitude in a little bit here. But first, I was meandering through the airport this last week. And one of my favorite things to do, because I don't read the gossip magazines, but I like to look at the cover sometimes just to see what are people talking about? What's happening in the lives of celebrities and what do people think is happening in the lives of various celebrities? Because often, again, it's whatever you can sensationalize, it'll sell headlines. But I have found it interesting that one of the top couples or individuals over the years uh, that have always seemed to have their relationship status or their family drama shared publicly and discussed regularly are Jennifer Aniston and Brad Pitt. These two actors and actresses, uh, they fascinate me. I think these are two people that, you know, people have known for years as the golden couple. People to this day still root for them to get together. I remember there was a table reading of a book during COVID and the two of them were involved in the reading and they were totally flirting on this Zoom call that everyone had the opportunity to watch. And there are photos of them encountering each other at various events and people are so excited. Maybe... Brad and Jennifer would get back together. It, we love to root for those things that we think are beautiful. And 
who wouldn't admit they are an absolutely beautiful couple? Now, what's interesting is there was a recent article in Star Magazine that I saw in the, it was the only thing that stood out to me when I was at the airport about Jennifer Aniston and really ultimately her happiness. The headline of the article had to do with regret over the fact that she never had children. Now, there's really no meat or substance to the actual article, but what was interesting to me is that she made a couple comments about her marriage that fell apart with Brad and some comments about children. And I thought it was interesting. With regard to her marriage that fell apart with Brad, she actually comments that she wishes she prioritized Brad more over her career. She talked about how those times to get away and really spend that quality time together just wasn't there because there's always something to prevent it, she said. And she especially commented that it was often both his work and her work that were getting in the way, which I think is something to think about, how it's so easy for us to chase happiness, to chase that next big thing, to chase a career, to chase the fame, to chase the paycheck, to chase the power, whatever it might be. Perhaps it's not the same thing as what Brad and Jen sought out or lived out in their lives, but for all of us, there are distractions that prevent us from meeting some of the most important responsibilities we have in our lives. And if you're married, you have a responsibility to your spouse. If you have children, you have a responsibility to your children. And how many people do we hear later in life, they regret they didn't, that they worked so much, or they wish they had more children, or that they had children at all. They wish that they spoke their mind. We talked a couple weeks ago after the death of Queen Elizabeth about uh, some of the five most common things that People say and argue with regard to the things that they wish they had done or wish they had changed, their top regrets. And so Jen talks about how she lost herself also when she was married to Brad Pitt. She said, I love taking care of people and I definitely put his needs before my own. Well, I kind of feel like this is a chop statement because it was, there was like nothing else around it. I would love to have heard more of the context, but what she made it sound like was at the same time as then, she feel, fears that she didn't prioritize Brad enough on the other end of the spectrum. She also said she didn't put her needs to the forefront enough either and that she loved taking care of people and perhaps there were other people she wanted to take care of. Well, it makes a little more sense when it comes to the topic of children. She's made comments a number of times ever since the parting of her and Brad, gosh, what, 15, almost 20 years ago now? She makes particular comments at that time about how she wishes and still wanted and still planned to have children, that this was something she was going to do. As the years went on, Over and over again, people still have speculated even just a few years ago about whether or not she was pregnant. Well, Jennifer Aniston, as gorgeous and as ageless as she is, is 53. And even beautiful people still have a biological clock that is ticking, making it difficult to have children. And about five years ago, I remember her commenting on social media, I think it was, that she was so sick and tired of people commenting perpetually on her looks or on her weight because she was just sick of people speculating whether or not she was pregnant when in reality maybe she was aging and her digestion wasn't as good as it used to be. 
And so she's also made comments recently over the last couple of years about how she wishes people would care more about her and her health and maybe consider that she couldn't have children, that she had a difficult time rather than just assuming and criticizing that she chose a career over babies. Comments from Jennifer Aniston over the last couple of years have been interesting. Many people tried to claim in various news articles recently that she's upset about not having children. But what I see is that people claim that she's upset about not having children. Whether or not that's true insider, close to Jen information or not, I do find it interesting that children have been a sensitive spot. That comments about her relationship with Brad that fell apart is also a topic where she said, I could have done more. I lost myself. I want to take care of people. There are all these pieces to the puzzle. And you look at someone such as Jennifer Aniston that people look at as being one of the most beautiful women, uh, having, you know, kind of having it all with her husband that was Brad Pitt, the career that she's had, the multi, multi-million dollar home. At the end of the day, even people with all of the wealth, all of the fame, the perfect house for a season what some may have viewed as a perfect husband, at least looks-wise, you still see people have happiness regrets. They wish they had done better in certain areas. They wish they prioritized other things. Things that are clear about Jennifer Aniston, she wanted children. She could have put more priority into her marriage. She could have worked less. These are all things for all of us to consider as we look at people who seemingly have it all, And realize that maybe we have more than we realize to begin with. And that maybe everything we need is just right here. And as we were discussing earlier with the author of the book, How and How Not to Be Happy, that we need to focus on what will actually make us happy. And that's God. That's why we talk about that every week here on Trending. If you have a question, number is 1-888-914-9149. Let's talk about gratitude. A trend over the last five years or so in particular, although it's always been a truth, is gratitude when it comes to happiness. Does being grateful make you happy? Yes or no? Well, obviously, the studies and the gratitude journals point to the fact that people indeed are happier when they practice gratitude. But one of the challenges I think that comes with this gratitude practice is who or what are you grateful for or to? It's interesting to me because I think that it's one of those things today that we just throw out into the universe that indeed we are grateful. I'm grateful for this. I'm grateful for that. But real gratitude, I think often we have to recognize real gratitude comes to a person. Okay, I'm grateful to my husband for cleaning up after dinner and taking my child when she was being an emotional terrorist tonight or whatever it might be when I just needed five minutes to just not be demanded something for a moment. You know, whatever it might be, there might be something that you are grateful for, but you're grateful to a person. I remember one of my nephews uh, a couple years ago, um, his dad asked him, what are you grateful for? And he starts listing these things that he's grateful for. And they're working with him. And he uh, he said one day that he was grateful for himself. And his dad was not too happy uh, when he said this. But it made me laugh because I think that these practices that are, you know, gratitude journals that we throw it out into the universe that we are grateful 
It's kind of like a juvenile version of working toward happiness, where we would ask a little kid whether they're grateful for, and yeah, little kid might say they're grateful for themselves. Well, when we say we're grateful for something, but we don't direct that gratitude towards someone, we're often missing the mark and just throwing it out into the universe or saying we're grateful because you know what? I did that. And we always take credit for what we think we wanted or what we did or what we achieved. But at the heart of gratitude, why gratitude can in part be a part of happiness is because if we direct it toward God, if we understand that every good and perfect gift comes from God, then actually there is an opportunity to enter into happiness, but not happiness into abiding joy. We have a need for God. And through gratitude, and not just gratitude for the good things, but gratitude for the challenges, gratitude for the sorrows, gratitude for the desires that are unfulfilled that we still have, through the gratitude for all of those good and perfect gifts and imperfect thoughts and feelings, it's through that gratitude to God for everything he has bestowed upon us, even at times through other people, that's when we start to orient ourselves not toward happiness. It is an emotion as we talk about often here on trending, this momentary and fleeting, but that's when we start to work toward lasting joy because in God is joy, joy and grace, understanding interchangeability. Through that gratitude, we start to enter into union with God. We start to take our desires and unite them with God's will. We start to take our needs. We start to become more moderate, prudent, self-controlled with how we try to fill our needs. And we try to unite ourselves with God's will. That's what gratitude ultimately should be taking us toward. So you have a gratitude journal? That's great. Use it. But don't just throw grateful sentiments out into the universe. Take your gratitude and lay it before God. It used to be in the Old Testament prior to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and the institution of the Eucharist, the various sacrifices were made in the Old Testament. One of those sacrifices was known as the Toda sacrifice. It's a sacrifice that we often speak of is an incredible prefigurement of what would come in the Eucharist. And the Toda sacrifice, what that means is the thank offering, the thank sacrifice that we were offering what we had out of gratitude to God. We were offering everything in gratitude to him. In Christ, we understand. In his crucifixion, in the Eucharist, we understand that Jesus Christ is the source of every good and perfect gift because the fulfillment of all desire, even that satiated moment, momentary pleasure we have from eating ice cream or whatever it might be for you, getting that promotion, having a child, that is nothing in comparison to the perfect, satisfying happiness, which is ultimate joy and union with God in heaven. That's what we're made for. This is why I talk about one of my favorite practices to do, especially if maybe I'm in a season of life where I'm maybe bitter or distracted or resentful or maybe feeling a little depressed or anxious that I take those rosary beads and, of course, make sure you pray your rosary. But you take your rosary and you use those rosary beads, one, B 
bead after another as an opportunity for a challenge to go around the whole rosary, not praying the rosary, but just saying one thing you're thankful for. It might be a person or a trait in a person. It might be even a challenge that you're experiencing, a sorrow, an unfulfilled desire, but you take that and you unite it to our Lord, offering it even at the sacrifice, that holy sacrifice of the altar, when you give yourself totally to Christ before receiving him in the Eucharist. Have a question for a psychiatrist? This is Timory from Trending with Timory. Dr. Adriana Stacy will join me. She's a board-certified psychiatrist. We're going to talk about everything from childhood development, challenges today, taking your questions. So join me Tuesday as we unpack lots of good information with a psychiatrist at 6 p.m. Central on Relevant Radio or the Relevant Radio app.